Nutrient Vat is my new like industrial cover band. Um, but, <laughs> that is a good name. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, I just see like like the pink slime lettering, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. like dripping pink. Slime oh yeah, like, Nutrient Nutrient Vat, like, and it's and everybody's like in a like it's all like it's like the Blue Man Group, but everybody is in like the white latex paint, so it's like you, their skin yes. really stretches. And anyway. <laughs> Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I'm your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's conversation with Patrick Taylor at Peculiar Patrick on Twitter. Today, we talk about starting with the red box and skipping straight to 5th edition, a world's 25 years in the making, how to turn off your metagaming, and becoming a real-life bard, and so much more. If you want to hear a bonus conversation with Patrick after the main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus episodes every week that range in length from 15-minute minisodes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as getting access to the entire catalog of previous minisode content. So, if you are interested head on over to patreon.com slash dungeons and dinners and help keep this podcast ad free. Now let's get on with the conversation. Welcome. Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we are joined today by the magnificent Patrick Taylor at Peculiar Patrick on Twitter, voice actor on the Will of the Dice show at Will underscore of underscore the dice. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me at the Dungeons and Dinners table. Thank you for having me at this glorious table. I don't think people understand how beautiful it is. Like, Yeah, it's that rich mahogany. Thick <laughs> layer of say, is that mahogany? Top. Nice. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful. I love it. <laughs> the power of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, thank you for having me. I am honestly really stoked. Uh, was super excited when I got the reply back to be like, hey, come be on the show. So. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So for the uninitiated, uh, if you want to spend a little bit of time here in the intro to describe who you are and what you do in the TTRPG space. Oh, sweet. Um, okay. So hi, my name is Patrick Taylor. Um, I am the voice of Tosh on the live stream slash podcast on Level Up underscore Twitch TV. Uh, We do two campaigns. Uh, My campaign that I'm in is on Sundays, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, The campaign is called Scions of Oblivion. Uh, I don't want to like give too much spoiler away because it's like where there's some big notes that have been like revealed recently, but it's, uh, we started at the beginning of this year. Um, We have dice if you want we're also a dice ambassador if you go to bit.ly forward slash capital w capital o capital t capital d capital d underscore i c e that's watt dice um you'll be able to look at our beautiful stained blue cat's eye dice um they're beautiful they're magnificent uh the show is really cool i am also getting ready to start a web series called skelly about a guy who has a roommate skeleton it's it's gonna be great awesome awesome so um a few few notes to check in here and of course we will have links for everything down in the description below so if you uh if you need to get that bit.ly link restated or the Twitch, uh, it'll be check the description for this podcast and we'll get that out to you. Um, so, yeah, the the voice of Tosh, um, please give us a little bit of a uh, little bit of description. So one, 
Uh, Scions of Oblivion sounds oh, yeah, yeah. like an amazing and fun name with a lot of that that already has juicy undertones oh, yeah. in it. Um, so it's, and uh, yeah, and then yeah. your character as well, if you want to give us a little rundown. Oh, of course. Um, so uh, it's set in the homebrew world of Rimith Kesha. Um, uh, Tosh is originally from. Oh, now I have to remember all lore. Uh, he is. Uh, basically, he woke up one day and a gnome wizard with a monocle was like, hello, you live in this castle now. That's basically a tower full of books. And this is where you live. And I'm going to teach you how to be a human and the best you can be. Because he looked down and he looked human-ish. Um, and so the, basically he traveled to this like festival and it all jumps from there with like everybody else's characters and it's... So uh, Tosh is his real name. His first name that he realized was uh, was given to him. It was Pants because, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was named that because uh, it's what covers your ass because the character does not understand clothing whatsoever in its entirety. Like there are moments where I'll just, uh, the character will look at somebody's clothing and be like, oh, there's this. So that obviously means you're this. And there have been moments on the show where they're like, um, pants, you don't judge people by the clothing that they wear. Like that's, that's <laughs> not like just because they have thigh high boots or a monocle or pirate clothing does not mean that they're a pirate or something like that. Uh, so yeah. And then the, the signs of oblivion, the science of oblivion is, um, our campaign that happens on Sundays on Saturdays is the dark and queen shadow rose. And they are a group of uh, all blood hunters that went to go to this um, tribunal. And while they went there, everyone died except for them. So they're like the last blood hunters in the same world that's happening as our campaign. So we've had like some crosstalk between the two. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was, it was it's pretty cool. Um, and then like a lot of the people are like double playing people. So there's people on Saturday that also play on Sunday. And um, it'll be really interesting when we finally have our... Uh, we just brought it up last last evening. Uh, so when we're recording this, the Sunday before, um, the <laughs> the possibility of a epic two night crossover episode. Uh, yes. In game, so yes. is is pretty good. That sounds awesome. Um, so, but the the uh, world is really cool. It it's like yeah. thirty four years in the making. Um, my DM has been working on this world forever. Uh, it feels really alive uh, and like we are kind of helping shape the world as, as the world is kind of shaping us at the same time, which is kind of cool, but sorry for getting off. Please, 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 please. No, no, no. A hundred percent. Like uh, a world 34 years in the making sounds like a lot. So I, I guess, how did you meet uh, your current gamer group and how did you get introduced to a world that is, is already so developed? Were you like, how far into the ground floor of that were you? Um. So, Okay. I met Tyr when I was still in high school. I was getting ready to graduate high school. This was like 2011 or whatever. Um, so uh, I met him a couple years later. Um, he asked me and my mom and my dad to join him at a D&D table. The, ga the game that we were playing was set in Ruth Kesha. Now it's set in the past of Ruth Kesha, whereas like the now is happening on the, on the podcast. But... Um, the, <laughs> so we played that game for five years. Uh, we played it through the pandemic. Um, our last episode in that campaign, 
uh, was the Christmas episode. <sighs> Sorry. Um, the reason we ended the campaign, unfortunately, is uh, my dear DM's wife, who is also at the table, passed away. Unfortunately. Yes, it was. Yeah. So <sighs> there. That's thank rough. you. Thank you. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Um, so that was the thing. And we just. We all collectively were like, we can't keep playing this game without them. So right, um, right. it it was very, it's kind of sweet that, um, so I was the record keeper for our that campaign. So the end of it, I've got like the Christmas episode. And the, the final thing is our floating airship goes off into, into the night as like Christmas music is being played like on a French horn. And Aww. yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, and so we started doing the podcast and I met, oh, I met Ren through a one, I think we did like a once a month game. Like we started with once a month, Tier taught her how to DM and she was like, hey, would you be willing to sit down at a table and like kind of like let me practice DMing more or less? And that has become evolved into a once a month game where I play Pat Gar, son of Floyd, last of Floyd tribe. Um, he's yes, yes, yeah. He doesn't wear any clothes except for like a ring of warmth and like bare armor. So he is never going to be cold, even if it wears a thing. But uh, um, so I'm, that's how I met Ren. Uh, I met Locke in the same game. Uh, he played, I think. Oh gosh. A dwarven ranger, if I remember correctly. Um, Shelly, I met on the podcast. We were doing auditions, and uh, she's... I forget what character she was playing, but I think it was Dandy. Like, the audition version of Dandy or whatever. And that was just... She's an incredible delight to play at the table, uh, table with. And then Ben. I don't remember if I actually got to do an audition with Ben... Um, but him and I, like, I remember sitting down with him at the first time and he talks about how he, he's a minotaur wearing like this raven mask and he's kind of like a plague doctor looking esque person, but a minotaur. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. So, and him, him and I have a solid look. Oh yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> the, the art for some of our characters are incredible. And we're always asking for people too, that if you ever hear anything in the show, we have like a, an email address that at the top of my head is gone for some reason, as it always is, um, that you can send to. We'll see if we can get to. in the show notes. Yeah. It's power post-processing, oh, you know. yes. Forget <laughs> about that sometimes. It's very odd being on something recorded and then, like, you can edit it as opposed to being like, yes, and hello, travelers, we're now live on Twitch. And it's like, right? yeah, oh, it's... I forgot everything. <laughs> I mean, I love Twitch for what it is, but there's, as a as an audiophile and, and a on again off again audio engineer of sorts i would never claim to be like a producer but i've dabbled uh there's something just about being able to go back and make tweaks it's the same way mm -hmm. like like i i did digital art for a while and i got really used to working with a tablet so much so to the point where i went and and like had a notepad and was like oh i'll doodle for a bit on like with a pencil and paper and i literally was just like doodling scratching some lines and my wrist flinched because I was trying to hit control Z. Like my brain was, I was like several years into doing oh, yeah. visual art to the point where I was just like, yeah, you just, oh, I don't like that line. And I'm like, this is, this is physical paper. I can't, there's no undo here. Oh, I gotta love that muscle memory, man. That's so right. good. It's, it's kind of the same. I feel that way about Twitch versus podcasting. Mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I want to go back and tweak it. <laughs> it's like the only thing we can do with live streams is just like, all right, that mess up. Now I'm gonna make that into a clip, and that's gonna be my viral. Yeah, now it's content. <laughs> yes. Oh, look at this four hours, and now I have hours of content out of nope. this. <laughs> But. So you guys start up Twitch over kind of this last, is that the most recent campaign that you guys started deciding to start streaming it? Yes. So um, we we were in talks for like doing a podcast for a while. Um, Tears has kind of been, has, has really been the creative drive behind this whole thing. He's like, I want to do a podcast. I think we should do a podcast. And I was like, bro, heck yeah, let's do this. And I eventually he messaged me. I was like, so we're going to make a podcast on D&D and I want you to audition for it. And I went, okay, yes. <laughs> yes, when, where, what do you want me to do? What's the character level? Give me stats. Um, and so we, we got through the, the audition process and we started doing it as, as an actual podcast. Um, and then we were approached, I think Tyr did some like research, emailing, people talking to people. And we connected with Level Up, and they really have been super welcoming and like open arms. They have been super accommodating. It's almost felt like they've wanted us a lot since like day one, which is really cool. Uh, but that's awesome. So yeah. I mean, you you kind of mentioned this. What is the character level? Um, or at least I know we're recording a little early. Yeah, here. yeah. At least it's um, a little bit off, but but at least at the time of currently the time of recording, I think we started at three and we're at like level seven now. Um, we nice, switched over nice. from we did XP for a while, and now we switched over to milestone. Which, in my opinion, when I DM, I like to do milestone just because those big moments feel like big moments right. as opposed to like oh yes we find you're this close to leveling up at the end of the dungeon and so you go and it's like when you go and i don't know if you've ever played fallout 4 there's um mm -hmm, like a mm -hmm. yeah the idiot savant perk where yep. you go randomly find something and get a bunch of xp and you level up and <laughs> oh you discovered a new town and that's xp and oh well now you gain a level like <laughs> right Ugh. well it's like I, I found that even when i do xp assignments I generally one I don't I've never really had a party that was like oh well we'll just go kill a few extra rats to get the rest yeah, of the yeah. I've never ha I've never had that like that video gaming kind of experience but also I find myself like well I'm going to design this around this many monsters and this many traps and I'll give bonus XP for non-combat here or discovering this secret area and like three or four different ways to make sure they get to the next level and then at the end of the session when it's like time for them like if they've completed that zone then I'll award all of the XP and oh look at that you just happened to be at the next milestone <laughs> so yeah. when I when I found out about milestone XP it was like this is basically what I'm doing anyway, except without the smoke and mirrors. <laughs> yep. With, without the whole, the extra number crunching and like, okay, they've done mm -hmm. this. So that means there and okay, cool. Yeah. It's, and, and I don't know. Like uh, you, you're really close to leveling. So like plus 10 XP for good voice acting. Tonight, <laughs> you said it, you made it funny or brought a snack. Like. <laughs> ah, yes. The old bribe the DM for XP. Oh, trick. Man. Bribe the DM is something that bribe the DM with snacks. I learned when I was like, I don't know. 12 <laughs> yeah. oh yeah you, you just every once in a while just be like hey man i was thinking about you and it could be altruistic or it could be like i'm gonna do something so dumb in tonight and i need them mm -hmm. to not think about but this i need yours. the role i that's back before inspiration you got bonus you got re-rolls by yep. bringing the the dr pepper and mountain dew you know yep. like yep yep 
Oh man. <laughs> so that does bring up when when did you know you said that you played some in college um at least in this campaign but what was your introduction to TTRPGs like? My very first Dungeons and Dragons experience was with um a high school friend of mine and uh we sat down one one weekend uh, I think it was the same weekend I actually uh, learned about and watched all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah, that's <laughs> that was an experience um, for the first time. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, but he had his dad had given him his old D and D books. So like we're talking red box D and D, like elves and dwarves and halflings are a race <laughs> or uh, sorry a class of people. Um, oh right, right. Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, he took me through character creation we played the solo adventure in the, in the red box where you have to go save the cleric girl from the giant snake and the little evil wizard dude and uh, my first character's name was <laughs> thorax the impaler uh he was a cleric and he played he was neutral because it was lawful neutral chaotic and the reason he became a cleric was because it was like being a fighter but you could heal yourself yeah i mean that's I think that's why a lot of people actually now it's a little bit less that, mm-hmm. but there's still undertones of that. Like you're, there's still, I think that trope is starting to fade a little bit because people are starting to see, and clerics have always been able to deal some damage. Oh yeah, but like like maces were ridiculously overpowered in second edition, mm-hmm. but nobody wanted to give them the. T- they were like, no, you heal things. That's all you do. And like, no, yeah. I I bash skeletons way better than any of you. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, take your sword and, like, you have to say, I hit it with the flat of my sword. I can just say, I smashed the thing. Yeah, I crush yeah. it. It's it's yeah. gone. Yeah. Also, and I don't need to heal. I don't need to cure wounds when I can inflict wounds. So That's, oh, that's true. <laughs> I forgot about that, too. Oh. Yeah. Necromantic clerics are mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like the old, they're like the very jaded like cleric at the end of the day. They've got like one eye with an eye patch, and they're like, you know, I could kill you right now and yes. bring you back to life yes. just to prove to you how much you need me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you start in uh in kind of a junior high, high school kind of area, mm-hmm. um, and and you st- you're starting with Redbox, so you're starting yeah. like way back. Do you progress? through the editions do you skip around do you do like third party stuff or, or like white wolf or, or so how do you progress from there i um played D, fell in love with it red box i liked the whole kick down the door kill the monster steal the treasure and then i would like to go back the same way i came in kind of play as opposed to now i have to navigate my way out um very right. um to steal a G- steve jackson games term very munchkin like that was kind of my yeah. thing. I loved Munchkin. Um, so from there, I kind of moved to just different RPGs. I think I played an All Flesh Must Be Eaten campaign really shortly. Um, I started to dabble into DMing myself. Uh, I started with World of Darkness, like base blue book World of Darkness. Ran a, uh, a campaign that lasted a couple sessions after after school a couple times for high school. Um and then I took a really big break because in college I started to get into acting and like doing theater performance, which really kind of helped me now as like 
doing a voice acting on a pod. No, a I've show never met and... a single theater nerd. No, never. I... Not, not a one. Never. I... Nope. You're very unique among your peers. No. You know, it's it's almost as like you can't just you just throw a coin somewhere and then somebody goes, yes, you need a song. Um, but no, I, I started doing I kind of took a break from TPGRGB there. Yeah. Those are letters that are in one sentence that are TTRPG. It is surprisingly hard to say. Yeah. It really is. The number of times that I've pulled it off without messing it up, I'm now jinxing myself. (laughs) Quick, knock on wood, find some wood. Yeah, right? Oh, no. (laughs) Wait, knock on this mahogany table. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. There we go. All right. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, so I took a break from that. I actually was more or less a bard for a while. Um, That was actually my my big thing before... um, the the pandemic or the panini as some people call it um yeah i was a like a live performing musician bard person and then pandemic happened and i got back into playing DD. um i was kind of playing around with the ideas i did a bunch of like one shots or i would try to get people like hey let's play this game and we'd sit down and we'd do like a single adventure and then i'd never hear from those people again um and uh I love, I really honestly, I skipped right to fifth when it more or less came out. Um, I looked at it and was like, oh, wow, this is so good. This is, this reminded me of like the red box love that I had of just like kicking down the door and kicking the monsters. And uh, it also looked a little more complicated, which was kind of a tone to like a 3.5 person who would want to get into it. And it looked like honestly a giant apology for fourth ed, which I had never sat down to play. Um, but only heard terrible, terrible things about the mechanics of yeah, Fourth Ed. It's, it's something that, like, looking back, I think, from today's perspective, and I've I've talked about this a lot on, on some other recent episodes, that I think Fourth Ed gets a lot more hate than it deserves. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, uh, you know, miniatures were a gimmick. Like, mm. yeah, sure, Third said you could use miniatures, but that meant coins and screws and, yeah. and dice and whatever. But, like, selling miniatures, no. You're not getting, like, especially because there was a lot of, like, trading card pack type stuff that was, Mm. you know, Wizard had just kind of acquired magic. There's a lot of kickback there. So there's a lot of hesitancy. And, like, but now 3D printers and Kickstarter, everybody has a tabletop war game. Oh, yeah. And, like, everybody loves miniatures. And and 5th Ed has more people using miniatures than 4th Ed ever did. But I think I think it was just kind of ahead of its time. And like, I didn't want to pay for it. Like, I'm not going to pay for miniatures. Like, you're not getting more money out of me. This is yeah. a pencil paper RPG, right? <laughs> but nowadays, I think if you brought Fourth Ed back now, I think it at least has a chance. Now, it wasn't mm-hmm. the best system overall anyway. But it, I think it would do better now, especially if you're offering people like downloadable packs to print monsters with oh yeah instead of having to spend you know 50 bucks for three goblins that's not (laughs) happening (laughs) that are unpainted and unprimed right unpainted goblins (laughs) yeah i uh i did minis for a while too so it's um i understand the hesitancy that that i guess came with it i i unfortunately was not around during fourth so i don't have like a lot of that foundation for it i mean i didn't play a lot of it i i my break was basically between three and a half and and fifth so i saw some fourth but i didn't have the time to play when it was out i was like i already have so much 3.5 that i i don't care about four Mm -hmm. because there's not i was playing a lot of like future tech and custom homebrew Uh, stuff i'm like i'm not remaking this entire campaign because there's no rule there's no supplements 
So maybe uh, in five years when there's another hundred books for fourth, I'll get mm-hmm. in. <laughs> oh yeah. And speaking of books, like fifth ed has been really, I am so excited for the Fizzbane. I still probably be out way after that comes out, but I'm, I'm going on record. I'm super stoked for that book. It may be the beginning of a Dragonlance book, which will be cool. I Ooh, have yeah, never read Dragonlance myself, but it's still, fingers crossed, cool things. I, I would kill if they just honor Spelljammer. Just do it. Just bring Spelljammer back. That, like, okay. Is that the one? I So my my knowledge is very tenderly when it comes to like older, like anything. I know Greyhawk, because that was like right. the second ed. And I remember hearing things, other things, like planar, no, wait, planar chaos is a magic set. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, amount of, the amount of names, it's the weather light, right? Yeah, no, there's just so many, well, there's so many names in there. They're just like, and then okay, Ursa this fought one. Tiamat. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> and the, there's a boo in there, I think. <laughs> well, and now that's getting, that's more real, like weird joke, but like now there are just D&D and magic crossovers, yep. so there's yeah. Ravnica is a D&D book. There's like Xanathar is a D&D is a magic card. So Which like, apparently is a really good magic card. My friend of mine was yes, telling me about I it. I don't know anymore. <laughs> you can just like basically the opponent, your opponent plays with their top card of their library revealed. And if you have the amount of magic to cast it, you can just cast it. And, um, your opponent can't play spells that would like counter your spells on your turn good if you Lord. have sand. Yeah, I'm, it's a good thing he's a super rare card, but jeez, right. <laughs> let's just break magic. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah, so Spelljammer is, it's referenced in like every, anytime a big supplement comes out for the Underdark, basically at the bottom of the Underdark is the Spelljammer. But it's usually referenced as like a broken derelict. Maybe it's an airship. Nobody really knows the Illithids were really interested in it. But what the Spelljammer like campaign is, is D&D in space. I was just about to say, I couldn't remember if for some reason my brain got this image of like dwarves with like laser tag equipment. Like Mm -hmm. this. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the the Swarks, which are like the space orcs, and they're actually kind of hyper intelligent orcs. And like, I was, I was, are you, do you, are you a Critical Role follower? Um, I cannot say that I am a critter, but I am okay. familiar. I remember the first day that they put their podcast up. I was in like their small little audience that started out, and then I was like, okay, this is cool. Let me go look at something else. Um. But right. I acknowledge that they are incredible and amazing. And if I ever yeah, meet any I, of I them, I'll shake all of their hands. At all. And, and campaign two, I was really, I, I, I thought that there, that maybe, I thought that maybe they would go at least hint at, mm-hmm. like make references to it. There was, there was some fan theories about some spell jammer in there. I'm like, please, somebody, somebody do it so that wizards will remember that it exists because yeah. i think that the original content that was for it and all the homebrew content is really just kind of lacking i like please somebody really overhaul this and bring it back like quit remaking the things that everybody already loves and and remake the things that sucked as like rules wise and make them awesome again <laughs> like that's fair that's fair it's um i feel like it especially with um the system as it is, the firearms would be would be hard to do because like lasers are so much more powerful than a bullet. But also in D and D, bullets are like it's more ammo economy than anything. 
and yeah yeah i mean it's the there's a lot to that they were like like magical lightning is not real lightning so mm-hmm. like it won't kill all of the fish in a lake or something right like and and magical fire doesn't always set things on fire like fireball does not ignite things like so so maybe lasers work more like magic and and it's you know it's a wand inside of a crossbow like <laughs> there's your, you, you've got a you've got a what the wookie bowcaster kind of yeah thing. yeah <laughs> you put like a crystal on the front of it for like a focusing mm-hmm. lens or whatever hmm we just homebrew it right now we'll just that's it that's yeah, what we're gonna right? do i mean homebrewing I've, spell jammer now. <laughs> to, to say that i haven't started homebrewing spell jammer at least half a dozen times in fifth is <laughs> would be a lie so <laughs> it's just hard to find a group and it's it's a hard system to run it's a hard mm-hmm. system to run because it's rapid planes hopping because oh, like yeah. all of the planes exist as basically planets and okay. so you're able to like fly between the planes and fly between different settings like eberron is a planet and you know taldori is a planet and whatever so it's a but i think it's a really fun system i think it's really cool i i just like fantasies like anytime there's a a lot of sci-fi fantasy blends mm-hmm. lean really hard to sci-fi. Like it's sci-fi with aliens that may be psionic and that's your quote unquote magic. Right. Mm-hmm. But I want sci-fi that leans more fantasy. And I think like, honestly, the closest that I think that really comes to that, that I can, that I can just pop off the top of my head is like the dooms video game series. Oh yeah. Where, like, demons oh, yeah. have cybernetic parts like, oh yeah but oh. that that really is more rooted in fantasy is demons are invading earth and somehow they have robot legs like yeah <laughs> and now i'm just thinking about doing a one shot where you doing boulder's gate but you just redo everything to look like doom yeah that'd be great it'd be i want to see i want to see in i want to see D D cyberpunk 2077 like I want illithids with like mantis, you know, cybernetic <laughs> arms. <laughs> like <laughs> that's that brings up a good question. If you were to do, what would be your cybernetic thing? If you were to do it for me personally, my I would like if redo I did my it. whole thing. I mean, I think whatever gets me, whether it's a brain implant or an eyeball replacement, I want a heads-up display that mm, tells mm-hmm. me what, like, really, like it just real-world brass tacks. I just want to know, like, am I vitamin D deficient today? Is oh. that why I'm cranky? Like, yeah. I don't know why I'm cranky right now. It turns out, oh, I just need, you know, I just need like 10 minutes of sunlight today and I'll be fine huh. or or whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Eat a carrot and you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> My mineral levels are a little low. Time to eat some, you just exactly. pick up some salt like, and throw it on your mouth. I'm made up of a trillion independently functioning little things inside of me. And oh, I have yeah. no knowledge on what they're doing. They don't tell me anything. They have really vague ways of communicating <laughs> what their needs are. And I've got to decipher them. And I'm not very great at that. I, I feel that in, in, in my robotic soul. I feel that. <laughs> What would your what would your cybernetic thing uh, be? I'd go for the whole replacement. I put my brain inside of like a, yep, yep. a synth shell. I done. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's, I done. mean, yeah. If we're talking like if I could plug into the Matrix, then sure. Oh no, just, no. I'm we're, taking that. I'm just. We're going Fallout <laughs> get, get Four. Transfer right. consciousness. Yep. 
just put my brain in a in the fan i want to be able to run the fantasy world just you know i don't need i don't need any of this <laughs> give, give me my ones and zeros give me right. my ones and zeros <laughs> so <laughs> i'm trying not to i don't want to ham fist this but it's going to happen now because i've just mentioned it um <laughs> It uh it would not be Dungeons and Dinners if we didn't talk about food. So whether it's the nutrient vat that our brains are in, yes. um <laughs> or or elsewise, um what is what is your relationship with food either in or outside of TTRPGs? Um first of all, uh nutrient vat is my new like industrial cover band. Um but... <laughs> That's a good name. Yeah, like, I was like I just see like like the pink slime lettering, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. like dripping pink slime. Oh yeah, like nutrient nutrient bath, like, bath. Ah. and it's and everybody's like in a like it's all like it's like the blue man group, but everybody is in like the white latex paint, so it's like their skin yes. really stretches. And <laughs> anyway, um, um, like food wise, um, so we when we did the uh, the five year campaign pre um, podcast. Uh, we would always have food. Um, the the my DM's wife, uh, Isra, she's also known as Faye. Um, she would always like make some form of food before like to have like as a dinner. So we'd like show up like half an hour early, eat dinner, and then like play games and then graze as you do when you're playing games. Um, but oh, it's so good. Um, for me personally, I am just beginning in the world of like making my own food and becoming a chef, I think. Um, so that means I am getting really good at cleaning dishes in my own home. <laughs> uh, yep. It doesn't matter. Any journey of cooking starts in the dish pit, whether mm-hmm. it's in a restaurant or at home, it doesn't matter. The dish pit becomes a thing. <laughs> you, it's you got to start somewhere. And that's, that's the beginning and the end of the meal is, dishes so um but i've like discovered putting seasoning on like totino's pizzas and that kind of thing but um i you can really you can really sharpen up a totino's oh yeah for as little price as you gotta pay you just put on a little bit of the italian seasoning so even less work of having to mix out your herbs and (laughs) and everything it's uh yeah so it's uh it's been fun. I'm really looking forward to eventually like buying a cookbook and then being like, all right, I'm about to Julia and Julia this whole thing. I'm gonna make everything in this cookbook. Yeah. But but yeah, no, um I'm I'm No, really, that's awesome. Yeah. I think you guys definitely had a better idea uh for food at your podcast than than we did. Or I'm sorry, food at at your gaming mm-hmm. table and eating beforehand. Uh, we always tried to do it as our break, like our halfway mm, through, mm-hmm. but then then it would take an hour to eat, and then we'd all be in a food coma. Yep. And then the break just kind of we get back into the game, and we're like, hey, kind of roll like one or two <laughs> dice, and then okay, we're we're done. Yep. Let's go back to eating and or just conversing in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the whole okay, we're in the middle of combat. Uh, I hit roll. Oh no! But I'm so full of breadsticks. <laughs> <laughs> but I am late tired. <laughs> I am late tired. We'll take a Z nap. <laughs> and, and then you can attack the horses. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, yeah, heck yeah. Um, food-wise, though, like I'm, I, 
I make a pretty mean pasta. I think I made like spaghetti one night with like actual like meatballs or attempted to make meatballs and I did them on my little Instagram. I was like, look at this little food I made. Boop. So that was cool. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Great. I think spaghetti and meatballs is a great place to like, it's, it's complex enough that you can actually feel like that you're learning some new things, but it's, there's also uh, so many different ways to make it oh, that yeah. you can find something that suits either your skill level or your palate. Like some people like a chunky sauce. Some people like a traditional sauce. I'm a puree kind of person, Ooh. right? Like I like a very thin pureed marinara. And like, I don't like a lot of extras like seasoning. Great, but stuff now, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, I, I'm not against people that want to stuff a bunch of vegetables or mushrooms or whatever in there. Like it's, it's very versatile that you can do a lot with it. So you can make a very simple marinara and you can make it just scales up from there. There's no, I don't think there's a skill cap to marinara. <laughs> nice. That gives me hope. That gives me hope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I think, and it's, and it's just a really useful sauce. Like, like a base marinara, I think. And the reason that I don't add a lot of stuff to mine is that, you can use like I make big batches. Mm-hmm. I, I learned how to cook in batches and I don't if I can get away with it, if I can make three gallons of something, I will. Nice. Um, the first thing that really taught me how to cook was just owning a deep freeze and being like, well, I got to put stuff in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to make three gallons of marinara. <laughs> but then suddenly it's like, oh, I can buy like like the the mozzarella sticks at the supermarket. I can like get those and bake them or fry them or whatever. And instead of their crummy post-processed marinara, I've like, I've got marinara. Yeah. Or like, if I want to make a pizza or I want to improve a Totino's pizza, <laughs> right? if true. I want a double-decker true. Totino's pizza, oh I'm going to put another scoop of marinara on top. I'm going to throw on some mozzarella cheese. I'm sweating. Slice up like 20 more pepperonis. <laughs> oh. oh, goodness. Whew. Oh. <laughs> But yeah, I just I love it because you could use it for it. You could do spaghetti and meatballs. You could do meatball subs. You can combine it with like a you know a rosé sauce. So you do like a half half Alfredo, half marinara kind of thing. And there's a lot gotcha. of things you could do with a, a marinara than and and change it up. So it's it's good to have around. Hell yeah. But, um, so you uh you said that you're kind of working on learning uh cooking. So what sorts of resources are you like a binging with Babish fan? Are you, are you written recipes? Are you YouTube tutorials or is it just kind of spur of the moment? It's a little bit of everything. Everything you just said, a little bit of binging with Babish, a little bit of looking online for different recipes, um, YouTube tutorials, those late nights where you're like, I can't sleep for whatever reason and i'm like this is the rabbit hole i'm falling into we're gonna learn about yep. every single italian dish i can make Boop. um but yeah it's um it's been pretty cool i also have like a couple friends that are, are willing to be like oh yeah they're they have the um, differing experiences but the same more or less foundations one went to culinary school one started out like in a kitchen and learned like from the opposite end to the same goal so I, I look forward to them being like, all right, tonight you're going to make this and I'm going to help you make it. And I'm like, oh, let me go get my chef jacket. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. I, lo- I love that you mentioned learning from opposite ends to get to the same goal because I very much so started in a kitchen. Nice. And, and was an experience over 
uh, formal education. And and then the place that I worked is very fast paced and pretty low pay. So we couldn't we couldn't afford college educated people. But also there was kind of a like, I would rather somebody who can learn on the fly and work well under pressure than somebody who thinks they know everything but doesn't know how to work with other people yeah oh yeah and at least that was the mentality whether that's true or not i don't know but it (laughs) (laughs) but it it was just it it really is it it is a whole different way and that's not to say that people that go to culinary school don't have experience or training or handle well under pressure i don't think you can cook for a grade and yeah i think that's probably more pressure than cooking for Karen at day <laughs> twelve. I don't know, man. There's some Karens out there, bro. That's true. <laughs> but no, I, th- I think that that's a really interesting. I think that it's, in my opinion, it would be the same as like learning from a homebrew exclusively DM that mm-hmm. plays a dice agnostic system versus a rules lawyer dm that only oh, has yeah. ever played D but knows every rule right like and then learning from each of them to build your own platform to to work from oh yeah and i honestly am going in that same regard i kind of had those kind of teachers i got i got to see both ends i got to be the to see the rule lawyers and i got to see like the people that are like okay so it's more about like the story than dice rolls and i'm Personally, I like to lean more on the it's about the story, not the dice rolls. Um, I forget there was a really great, um, like the different type, different quote unquote types of DMs, um, according to uh, what's I think it's the Munchkin Dungeons Master Guide um, that they came out. It was like a supplemental D20 book that Steve Jackson Games did that was for if you wanted to basically munchkinize your Dungeons and Dragons 3.5 game um and in it it talked about like the different types of DM like the um oh what was it the there was the like Monte Cristo DM where it's all about like you're gonna get a lot of gold at the end of this it's all about gold and then there's the DMs that are like okay it's you characters versus me the DM and I'm God and you're just going to die like that's you're fighting it's not a cooperative story game it's this is me versus you um and then there's like the storyteller dms and stuff like that but it was was that reading that kind of helped me figure out what kind of dm i wanted to be and then playing and dming has been really very cool i started a game um when i got back into playing fifth ed i started a game in during the pandemic um that we ran basically through the whole pandemic on about every other Tuesday in like a homebrew world that um, being my first one, it kind of grew around them and was shaped by them and like other thoughts, which was kind of cool. But, uh, but yeah. So is that, is that you, sorry, I'm trying to organize You're this good. thought and there's like six ways to go with it. Um, <laughs> it sounds like you have a lot of experience on both sides of the table. And I, I think do, yes. a lot of people fall into forever player or with a couple of one shots or forever DM and played once as a character in high school. So oh, yeah. from somebody who is more kind of in the middle, um, do you find it 
easy to transition between player brain and DM brain? Or um, are there any like trials and tribulations that you have kind of flipping between those modes? Um, I will. So hilariously enough, I have a great anecdote um, that is that shows this kind of brain flip. So um, recently I had my players uh, in the world that I'm running as DM. I had them do their first troll fight. These players have never fought a troll before. They have very little um, Dungeons and Dragons experience overall. Our first campaign was like their first big campaign. So no meta gaming was happening. Thank goodness. Um, And then, so I had literally just run this fight. And then we, um, last episode, just fought a troll-like creature, troll-like in quotes, um, on the podcast. So I had to... Are, as a player had to turn off the brain of okay i know what i need i kind of may know what kind of damage type i should do to this creature so it doesn't regenerate um so in character i had to be like what are you going to do in this kind of sense does he think about trolls no he's just going to go straight for the protection mode. okay so i'm not going to do anything and it's it's just a it's it's like being able to turn off the metagaming it's when you know rules and you know like things how to go you you have to think okay what's the story need right now and i am very much a player of i will i will choose the bad decision if it means the story is going to do something like if it's if it's for the rp 100 percent, i'm going to do it the first episode tosh tries to swing on if a high-ranking priest while there is literally like 25 guards around us and he's like this guy's being rude to me. I'm going to swing on him. Should I have died? Maybe. But, um, yeah. So, I will... I, I love <laughs> Did I the think RP. I had a little bit of plot armor? Like... <laughs> did I think... Did I think maybe... Maybe we'd be okay? Maybe? Well, yes. But, um, I... You know, I took the chance. I was willing to be like, all right, so we're going to make a new characters at the very beginning of our first episode. It's a new campaign. <laughs> I just killed everybody here. <laughs> but uh, bow out and yeah, thank yeah. you. Sorry, guys. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's really for me. At the end of the day, I love the story more than I love winning, more or less. If it means winning in quotes. Um, so yeah, it's. I think that core has made it very easy to be like, oh yeah, that's a troll. I, that thing's gonna regenerate every. 10 hit points every time it's not hit with fire. Okay. <laughs> so from, as myself, I'm a, I'm a pretty big homebrew DM. I'm pretty story focused. I, I love the narrative aspects of play. How do you find that from a DM's perspective that you, and or maybe even as a player, um, you know, as a player that enjoys the story and the narrative of somebody else's, even if it's someone else's tale, how do you find that you... Uh, whether it is consciously or or subconsciously encourage other people to kind of get into character or offer their you know help drive the getting other players to help drive the story forward like is there any advice that you think you could offer on that um as a dm immersion go full immersion your players will want you like if you as a dm decide okay Tonight's adventure is going to be the first set. They're going to meet in, in a tavern. They're going to there's going to be a fight there and I need to have a bartender that has a voice and maybe like another guy that's going to have the plot hook to continue on the story. 
um, go for that. Hunt, like, do the best you can. I know accents and voices are hard. I know also, too, there is a lot of resources. There's a lot of voice actors out there that want other people to, like, come into this business and, like, or even just to do it casually. It's very fun to just randomly slip into something extra and you can be whoever you want to be, you know? Um, so going straight as a DM, go for the immersion, go deep into, like, just 100% commit to it. Uh, commit to the story, commit to the world, commit to the people. If the characters start to do something silly, let them commit to it and then think about where that's going to end up. I have... I have had players set fire to the great plains of this world and it start a plains fire and now there's the fallout of that to deal with. It's wonderful as a DM because it's silly and the players kind of feel like they have a control over the world, which is honestly, they do. They're the biggest controllers. You're just there as the programming more or less and to take it in a weird computer simulation way. But um, as a player, it's the same. The same is true fully commit. If you if you can find one thing about your character that you can lean into, you will find that that character kind of comes alive and you will start to think and find their motives more or less of why they're doing that. Why are they showing up in the tavern? Thinking maybe just a little bit of backstory, like give them a single line of backstory and taking it from there. Or um, there was a really great series I found on YouTube that, again, I am so sorry that I cannot remember your name, this fine gentleman made, I basically, how to be a great PC, and like, he went through and like, how to make a good backstory, how to roleplay really well, and I agree with a lot of what he said, and some of the stuff I don't agree with, but that's just, that's people and communities and, and discourse, and that's okay, a lot of things are good though, in the sense of like, if you can answer like six questions about your character, that makes that character's backstory just pop. And that can give you ideas of how this person is interacting with the world. And it's immersion. That's my whole, my whole thing. Immerse yourself into it. Get into the headspace if you can. It, you will find that your role-playing and your experience, hopefully, will blossom and bloom into something incredible. Yeah, I've uh, I there's I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the uh, the name of uh, the guy that does the the, the videos. It's an it's an even even of that. It's a really old version of his, but he, he talks about like the first. The, it's like a concert, right? And it's a video like panoramic, and everybody's like it's an outdoor concert, so it's not like a huge stage or anything, mm-hmm. and nobody's dancing. There's music playing, and there's like there's the first dancer. Right. Mm-hmm. And the first dancer has to have no shame yep. because no one is dancing. And but the first dancer is not the most important person. They are they are a key, but they're not the most important person because the most important person is the second dancer. Yep. Because the the first person is um, like it just kind of means that that the most shame is taken care of. But the second person that comes out, they're the one that now now there's a group. Two people is a group. And once there's a second person, you don't have to be. Nobody wants to be the first person. Really, nobody wants to be the second person. It's a little easier to be. But after there's two people, 
then all bets are off. It, it can become a hundred people like in a minute. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, it, but without that social proof of the first and second person. So like, I, I think that immersion is key. I think that being willing, uh, Ozzy man, okay. Ozzy man reviews, I think is the, the one that did this, but, um, the, being willing to be either the first or second person and the, oh, yeah. being the first person can be hard. Um, I think as DMS, we probably have a little less shame. Uh, <laughs> and we, a little more yeah. willing to be oh, the yeah. first person. But well, I think seeing that first person, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I think seeing that first person and being willing to be the second, we're like, maybe this first person is driving a plot statement or a role play encounter that I normally am not glommed onto. Like I'm not feeling it, but if I can express interest and join them in trying to prove or do whatever they're trying to do and support them in it, all of a sudden the rest of the table may start to role play. Oh, yeah. even if it's not a direction that I wanted to go, the fact that I am willing to go there is what's going or, or could it mm-hmm. may not. It's not a guarantee, but it could make everybody else at the table loosen up a little bit and give them the social proof that they need that like I didn't because like anybody that the first dancer or the first role player is worrisome because anybody could point at them and say they're being weird. Oh, because yeah. nobody else is role playing or nobody else is dancing. But if there's a second person, then there's social proof that person two validates person one. And once there's a second person, then it's then it's like, oh, well, at least one person doesn't think that's weird, oh, which yeah. means if I didn't think it was weird, but I was being shy about it. Now I have somebody that is on that that devil's advocate in my brain right yeah yeah they, but saying yeah it's cool it's to okay, role play yeah. oh yeah, yeah it's yeah. cool to role play because i'm role playing this too and all of a sudden it's like well honestly i really did want to role play the whole time i just didn't feel comfortable but now that there's two people well i then nobody's gonna single me out because i'm the third person and nobody remembers the third person so it's easy for me i can just kind of slip in yeah and, yeah, that's that's why like with the um, we're um, as a DM, it is very like that first step of as a DM is very much if you immerse yourself, you start to do the role play. You're that first person, and then whoever jumps up, it hopefully one of your players that makes them feel comfortable to then role play, and that's how you can pull everybody. And then vice versa too. If even if the DM's not uh, like role playing, I tend to. I myself as a player tend to try to like help story wise to I'm very much into the story. So I I'll I'll detail like what I'm doing or I'll detail some like emotion and try to get people to like hook them to bring them in and be like, okay, it's cool to dance with me. And then if the DM's not doing it, that's when I'm hoping that the DM will kind of be like, oh yeah, like this is, this is the thing. This is the dance. This is what we should be doing. Well, yeah, sure. Of course they're going to, of course they're going to join you. Yeah. I can't not, it, it, it's easier to get the DM kind of hook because they have to respond to what you're doing. True. Like the other players don't, but the DM, you, you can always ask like, well, wh- how does that change the scene or how does the bartender react? Yeah. Or oh, yeah. what does something look like or smell like or change? Like, so you can kind of draw that in pretty easily. Um, but I think that, yeah, once, once you have a couple of players, it's if you have players at your table that are new or, 
uncomfortable. I think the whole thing is not putting pressure on those people mm-hmm. to like, mm-hmm. hey, why aren't you role playing? Oh yeah, why I, don't you have a voice? I, like that's not yeah. the way to go. No, I, I, and I the would way to go is to be, be like the second silly person. Yeah. Oh yeah, because like. then everybody be like, oh, let's all be silly together, and that's the that's the whole point of role playing is just is being silly, being fun, having a good time, digging into sometimes deeper emotions if you if that's what the story calls for. But like ultimately telling a good story and being having fun doing it. No, I 100% agree. I think that that, that's, it's, but sometimes it it can, especially at a newer table or with newer players, I think I've seen the most, like, I've seen new DMs that fall kind of into that trap where they're either, you know, I've I've had a DM that thought, you know, they were obsessed with Mercer, they were obsessed with Mercer's world, Mm. they wanted to DM, essentially they wanted to play through the first campaign because they thought nobody mm-hmm. else had seen the first campaign. Uh, and they were right for a while until I was like, some of this kind of, I didn't even see the, the first campaign, but I'd watched mm-hmm. a lot of animatics. I and I was you. like, I think I know this play. Like that town <laughs> sounds eerily familiar. And I Googled it, oh, just no. the, a rough town name. And all of a sudden, it all of clicks. everything, oh. the whole Wikipedia comes up oh, because, no. the, oh, yeah. because critters yep. exist. So like I Google a town name because it just because it sounded familiar. I was like, this kind of sounds familiar. I wonder where he got that from. Is this like a, yeah, a mythological, yeah. you know, story or something? And then I see the wiki and I'm like, oh well, it's an actual thing for something. Yeah. And I pull it up and then it's just all the story beats that we've played oh, through. No. And I'm like, oh no. Oh, like no. I was like, I have to bring the I I can't be evil. Yeah. So I've got to bring this. To, like, all right, I I figured you out. <laughs> like, and and no offense, but if you don't like, if you don't want to take this in your own direction, just know that I have the cheat book. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I I can meta this if I have to. I don't want well, to meta like, this. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, and I don't think that I don't know. I was it, it may have been. A, I will admit it was a toxic moment on my behalf. Hey. But I was a little bit mad that they did not say that that was what they were doing. Oh, I mean, that's fair. Oh, yeah. I'm, and so it was yeah. like, you were trying to convince me that this was your world. It's actually how I got introduced to oh, Critical no. Role. Oh, well, was, that's... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know. You get to play in it. Um, that's kind of cool. <laughs> it was it was right. Yeah, I played it before I, I, I and it was right when season two was about to launch. So I got into season two on the ground floor. I've never finished season one, but um. But yeah, it was my whole introduction to Critical Role was somebody else running the game and trying to pretend like it was theirs. And and it was and as a first DM, first time DM, and I was like, I am so willing to help you. I've done this for 20 years. Like you can take this in your own direction and nobody's going to bat an eye. But if you continue going in this direction, I don't know that I can play through you pretending that like I can play through a one shot or an adventure module or another campaign setting, but I can't pretend like you wrote all of this yourself. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, you have to come forward to the rest of the players and let them know that that's what we're doing. And yeah, they, they wouldn't. And so we, uh, you know, I think there was one or two sessions after that, that we're like, we're not going, we will force you to write a different yep. story because we know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're not going to go do that entire thing 
we're just hopping, we're renting a carriage, we're buying some horses, and we're going the complete opposite direction. Oh, man. So what happens? <laughs> and they were like, I don't like this, I'm done. Ugh. And we're like, okay, we're done too then. Yeah. So that was, it was really rough. I, 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 I hate kind of putting that whole scenario on blast. I haven't really talked about that one, but... But you know, it resulted in me getting to figure out what I didn't know that Critical Role really was a thing outside of, you know, a few people's animations of stuff that I'd stumbled into. So, And hopefully, if a DM is listening, um, they have grown as a DM and they've found out the really, honestly, the joy of really writing your own stuff or even just letting the players write. Here's my secret as a DM. I almost don't write anything. I, almost. I have, like... Will Wheaton said one time when he was talking about um, doing one shots that he has like a tent. And so he has certain tent poles that are there to make the tent, but the players make the tent more or less. Um, I do the same thing very similarly, um, but I let my players actions drive whatever I um, am going to start kind of focusing towards. And like, there are some nights where it's like, okay, I need them to fight something. Um, you're going to fight this monster today. And hope that it's in the region Let's or something. spin the wheel of monster manual. <laughs> hey, that's exactly <laughs> why they have those random generating tables in the DM manual. So you don't technically have to write anything. You just let the dice do it for you. So that's right. hopefully that the joy of, of making your own world, even if it's just like a small town where your adventurers explore around or it's a giant continent or it's a whole plane of existence, Hopefully they have found that joy and and Spark has something helped them in that in that way. But yeah, no, I yeah. think that's yeah, I think that's perfect. I think that the the secret is is that the players will tell you what they want to play. You just have to be willing to listen to it. Yep. So, yep. well, Patrick, I always like to make sure that I cede the floor to you for the last segment of the show. So whether it is tips, tricks, advice, uh, shout outs that have not been named or anything else that you would like to state while you have some time here. Uh, of course, we are going to be uh, recording a Patreon mini-sode after yeah. this. So that'll be a little bit more nightlife. We've got a few things to cover in that one, maybe some follow-up questions. But until we get there... Uh, I give the rest of the floor to you for the end of this episode. Well, thank you. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Patrick Taylor. I'm the voice of Tosh on Will of the Dice's Science of Oblivion. Uh, I'm on there, 8 p.m. EST on Level Up underscore TTV. Um, I have a web series coming out. It will probably be aired by the time this is out, which is awesome because then I will not have to deal with the anxiety of it coming out and people being like, uh, this isn't good. Anyway, I joke. Any, um, it'll be on YouTube. The links and stuff I, I'm going to assume will be in the episode description. I should slow down just a little bit. And yeah, um, come hang out with me on Twitter. I like to say I'm like the Wensler on twitter but my things are just like little people coming over and asking me if they can cop an eighth of mara cannabis so that's always the joke but yeah <laughs> awesome awesome yeah all of those links will be in the description including your most newly released stuff uh we'll make sure to bring all of that out and uh yeah no thank you so much for joining me 
once again, he is a voice actor on at will underscore of underscore the dice. Uh, you can find him specifically at Peculiar Patrick on Twitter. Links in the description. Patrick, thank you so much for joining me on the Dungeons and Dinners podcast. Brent, thank you for having me. Hi, Mom. So that's all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking on that star rating or dropping a review in your podcast app of choice and help boost the algorithm gods and get this podcast to the ears of more people. All the links and contact information discussed can be found in the show notes. And if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter at and dinners. That's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you are interested in supporting the show or want access to the entire backlog of bonus episodes like today's episode, where Patrick comes back to talk about playing the flute, Weird Al and parodies, more stories from being a bard, and so much more, or you just want to keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dinners. If you're looking for another great podcast to listen to, you can check out my other broadcast, Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.